Hey folks, welcome to episode 153 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Derek Notman. He is a teacher of physical culture specializing in Zhengyi, Tai Chi, club swinging, and a wide breadth of other healing practices. In this episode, we talk about the ways our mind and emotion manifest physically and vice versa. There's a lot of powerful experiences awaiting all of us. To get there, you could practice in many ways. Physical exercise is one of the most tangible ways I can imagine. Or physical exercise is one of the most tangible ways that I can engage with different states of mind. You can check out Derek's classes, videos, and more at islandphysicalculture.com. I'll be sure to leave the links in the show notes. Um, You can head over to the website, becomingahumanpodcast.com, check out some videos, or go over to his Instagram at islandphysicalculture, where he has a bunch of dope videos with a variety of flows um, that pulls from a wide breadth of um, exercise disciplines and movement disciplines. Derek is a very experienced guy in the study of uh, movement cultures and uh, philosophy. He's traveled through China and Southeast Asia, spending years working with uh, masters in their fields to be able to, um, to learn more. Without any further ado, here's Derek. At the end of the day, all roads lead home. Dorothy meets the whiz. It is what it is. Perception is everything. Waking up in the dream, we project what we think. But it's not what it seems. Every cell, every atom is connected like a team. We are one in this ocean of life with many streams. Be empowered by the tool, but don't let it use you. Can't Google self-knowledge. Be your own guru. On the other hand... Identify with all of it, the universe, or the one, the one that is God. Man, it looks beautiful over there. You're outside, everything, spring's here. Yeah, in my backwoods here, it's, uh, it is beautiful. I'm blessed to love where I live and to have a nice spot to be. And I see you use that area for swinging clubs a lot, huh? I do, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I'm in the middle of finishing my uh, studio here, so I've got it all uh, dug up right now because I'm doing work on it. But uh, mm-hmm. so I'm just in a little back area. But yeah, I train out here a lot. It's, uh, it's a great place to practice. By the ocean, so we get nice water and, uh, yeah. Wait, you're by the ocean too? Sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Cape Cod Bay. Representing the Pacific uh, Ocean and the Atlantic right, Ocean, the opposite coast. <laughs> yeah. So, could you tell me about how you got into um, swinging clubs, and or actually, before we get into that, could you tell me about what what like Indian clubs are, um, and things like that? Sure. Um, so, I think it's all weapons based right club a club is just a way of practicing whether it's a sword or a a a a mace to smash with or something it's it's a way of maintaining the physicality necessary for battle and warfare you think about it in the old days 
you're swinging a, a mace and holding a shield. If your hands and arms get tired, you're dead, right? So mm -hmm. this is a training that lets you connect and strengthen those connections directly. Um, but, you know, I suspect that it's universal, but where we see the strongest historical connections are in Iran and in India. Um, mm -hmm. And then when the Brits went over to colonize India, they saw it and they brought it back to the UK and then it sort of went all over the world. It was in the Olympics a couple times. It was a big wow. phenomena back in the, uh, you know, late 1800s, 1900s. Um, and it's, you know, to me, it's almost like the perfect form of exercise because there is uh, the levering that the club provides, given that you practice with, I think, uh, what I would call requirements, such as maintaining a connection through the club while you're swinging it, maintaining your uprightness and your verticality and your posture, and maintaining your pelvis underneath you so that you're connecting your feet. Um, what the club winds up doing is it just helps stretch all the tissue because it, it's, it's adding a, a wind through the joint structure that acts as like this you know, it's, it's like a massaging. You think about making bread or making dough, you, you try to get it to a certain texture and a lot of the movement, and, and I understand this through my study of Chinese martial arts, and I just extrapolate it to clubs. Basically, everything I do with clubs is just me doing Tai Chi and Kung Fu, but I'm using a pair of clubs. And uh, the idea is that you are, you are churning the tissue of the body over and over to get the dirt out of it like you would do laundry by hand. You have to wring it out and get it wet and wring it out. And that process cleans the tissue, cleans the blood, makes the tissue soft and supple, but strong. And so rather than building like hypertrophic structures with strong individual muscles, it's almost more like a machine. We're thinking of the body as like rope is like lines and what do you want is a thicker weave the gauge builds by weaving in new strands of connectivity and so for my practice i'm always focusing on postural strength and interconnection and this allows you to do what i would call uninterrupted interconnected circles with clubs which is the same thing that we're doing with our hands in tai chi or if you have a sword or something we're learning to move through the joints to stand in the bones and to direct the body with the mind. And that is a projection of feeling awareness through all the ends, hands, feet, head, and tail. Wow. And with what I noticed when I even got in, when I was getting into kickboxing, for instance, um, like I thought I was coordinated and, you know, I thought coordination was, oh, you just don't like trip over your feet. <laughs> and then I realized that, oh, you could spend a whole lifetime on coordination because I was trying to do kickboxing and you know you usually would have like numbers in association with like like a, a one and a two is like you know your left jab is a one and two is the right jab and like three and four those are hooks and then you have your uppercuts um to be able to associate numbers with movement and then to be able to rhythmically move and like you know if you have like a jab like sometimes you uh with quick jabs you could uh you whip the end of your hand and to be able to to synchronize all the way through my whole entire arm that whipping motion was incredibly challenging yeah and then here's another one when i was a kid just like a bunch of random things for people out there to like get the feeling like you would have your thumb or your finger and you could like if you relax your pointer finger 
you can make this like a pack of tobacco thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. I wasn't able to because my I wasn't able to relax my one finger while stressing the other fingers. And then I realized that like my body was really limited. And at first I had that fixed mindset that some people we get into a little bit where it's like, oh, I don't know, I just can't do it. And I realized, you know, like whistling and all these other things that I could do it. Yeah. And if and the only difference was is me just stepping up and and trying it and listening to the feedback and trying to interpret that and and finding how to get that result. And the thing that I found is is if I get caught up on like mm, it's not working, you know, even even if it's not in the body, but if it's in creation and creating things, then that blocks me from being able to be in the process and I can't move forward. So then I realized just in just in the whole trying to relax a finger and you know packing tobacco basically um that i have to be able to relax for it all and i can't have all this looming expectation like i need to do this or this is about being able to do it it's just about kind of doing something silly and just having fun you know yeah it's beautiful i mean it's uh first of all running into something that we think we should be able to do but can't do is always such a beautiful opportunity to get into learning like you did you embraced it and said i'm going to figure this out this is when humans are at their best right and so physical skill development is such a satisfying thing to practice and the more our body becomes intelligent and able to um move in accord with how we want it to and not just be reactive or reflexive but actually consciously controlled it's incredibly satisfying and um you know, having a calm mind is the first thing we need to be able to learn is we, we need to, you know, I think we, we forget, even though it's obvious and everybody knows it, that you can't do what you're learning. You know, <laughs> want to be good right away. And I'm always like, look, you can't, I'm going to show you something and you're not going to be able to do it but I'm showing it to you so you can begin to practice so you can become able to do it. Yeah. It's not right yet. It can't be. If it was, it wouldn't be worth learning. It would be too simple, you know? And so like even standing posture, it's a huge study that everybody I oh, am yeah, doing, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, no, there's, there's, can you create dynamic oppositional force through your whole body through directed awareness? This is a thing we learn to do, and you can only do it because you can feel the two things you're bringing into opposition. So we first have to go through the body and develop our feeling awareness. But feeling awareness is mostly obstructed by tension. And so as the body releases, the sensitivity increases, and then you get this concurrent process of we're listening to release and we're releasing so we can listen deeper. They, they feed each other. And so in a lot of ways, we're only ever, and this is another thing that to me is, is funny and vexing at the same time, because I feel like it's simple, but I know that it isn't. I'm only ever doing the same few things, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm swinging clubs or doing a particular form. And it's really just maintaining and, and not getting in the way of, what's happening, the energy that's moving and being able to keep my body still enough that I'm not interfering with the movement. So a lot of the time, and especially if you think about clubs and the potential value to the joints and the skeletal system from being able to take the, the weight into the bones as opposed to getting it stuck in the muscle. And that's a, another larger concept we can speak about. But 
um, the, the point is that you're getting your um, joint structure to be able to remember what it's capable of. And the clubs help us do that because all of a sudden when I pick up a club, I've added a fourth joint to my arm. Mm -hmm. So my brain's like, whoa, what's going on? And my hand is really intelligent. It's wired up to my head. So as soon as you put something in your hand, your brain turns on. And because my hand has more coordination than my other joints and more proprioceptive awareness, it doing this over and over reminds the other joints, oh yeah, open, close, open, close, open, close. And if I'm disciplined about keeping my body still when I'm swinging the club, the movement will happen in the joints. But if I let shit wobble around, the relative movement that should happen in the joints is happening somewhere else because I'm not honoring my postural requirements. Oh, wow. And when you're, when you do like a, a study of the postural requirements, um, what does it look like when, if you were to try to give advice to somebody who is interested in, in learning that and practicing that? So, and like, we're like the basic foundations of it too. Yeah. So one of the first things is simply teaching the classical fixed posture the position you see everybody with their heels together and you're standing up tall. Now, a lot of people say, oh, this is Victorian England. Everybody was uptight and that's why they're doing that. I think that's ridiculous. It's because they're taking the slack out of the body. Think about this. And this is a thought that's only come to me recently and it's, uh, it's fascinating. Um, but a lot of this stuff comes out of the military, right? So you're a soldier, and, and this is another classic thing in Chinese, there's so much dogma out there, but don't stand like a soldier, be relaxed. That's led everybody to become collapsed in their posture that's trying to do Tai Chi. So that's a bad communication there. Um, but if you think about the soldier, right? Imagine you're standing as a soldier, fully fucking alert. Cause if you're not, you're going to get in some serious shit with 10,000 people holding that same posture, marching in order. That is a mental level of it's on, I'm present, it's here. That's what you're training for is to be able to get the mind to Take the body into that state of heightened awareness and whatever's about to happen, I'm fully in it and on it. And this is what posture does, is it gives us that heightened state of awareness where you're already, you know, look at an animal. What does it do? It, it gets into a posture to still itself to be ready for what's next. And so I'm not suggesting that one would adopt a posture in a fight. I'm simply saying the act of training how to organize the body with clarity and having these rules creates a pressure that creates a lot of physical change as well as mental integration with the body through a state of sustained heightened awareness. That makes sense because you're pointing your attention towards that. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you are bringing yourself into a degree of manageable tension that makes you like, if I thought I just heard something in the woods there, I'd get quiet and I'd look. Mm -hmm. When I get into my posture, that's the same mind state I'm in. I'm listening, but I'm also fully present, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I'm in la-la land or something. No, I'm feeling the energy in my hands. I'm feeling the stretch in my neck. I'm feeling all these different things. And I'm taking an accounting of everything and trying to see, is this correct? Is this feel correct and you start to develop a sense of balance and correctness right so it's like swinging a club you just know if it's moving right there, there's a 
feeling a knowing quality. And, and is that, so is that the, the thing that you would find is an accurate direction in people's um, journey of learning? Is that an in, in internal quality? Well, if that's what you want to do, right? In other words, the internal quality is a specific training that won't happen unless you actually do that practice. Mm-hmm. What, what, and, and, um, well, cause so I get to the thing with like posture, right. And, yeah. and like, or you learn something and you get into, um, the external so much that you're looking to, Oh, yoga is a good example. Like, you know, what's my posture supposed to be in downward dog. And then you're like, putting your you're you're doing it based off of all the visuals and you're trying to achieve a line and it, and you're not you're not sinking that what's expected from a um like the methodology right um right. and what you see in your posture to how you feel and it f- sounds like to you you place a lot of importance on there's a correct way to do things but then the way that you feel inside is the most important gauge and That's some, right. and we get, I don't see that like taught, at least, you know, when you get introduced to things, people are often like, you know, even in a handstand, I got to point my toes, everything's got to be a perfect line. And that's how I'm going to get good at a handstand. It's obsessing on like the details. Posture and shape or form are very important, but they can't be copied. They have to be understood and built. And in a certain sense, what you're always trying to do, regardless of the shape is to create directed opposition so that the shape is full through an even pulling across the whole structure of the body, the way that you pull a drum skin across the frame. And, and that's something that you, that you even find like in, in, in engineering bridges, for instance, right? And that's what, what I was, I think we're describing before the podcast and teaching, um, you know, someone doing like a forward fold, right? And saying that oh, I have like back pain. And it's just like I could look at them and explain it away. But then my teacher introduced me to that other concept where speaking from somewhere principles and like to be able to, you know, reach the crown of your head forward and to try to lift your posture um, and they find out what works for them in their own realm. And that taught me in my yoga practice because I was copying and I get caught in the copying a lot and not yeah. looking within. And I even find myself when I'm copying and in my learning in general, even in like a climbing scenario, then I'm very disconnected with where my body is and what I expect. And yeah. so like, then my breath is erratic or like my body's, I feel just totally exhausted. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the sense, like this is painful. Why is this painful? Yoga sucks. Climbing's terrible. And it's like, I don't know how much of that's me putting me in that scenario to achieve what I think I need to achieve in the moment. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, I think uh, a lot of the times, well, for me, comfort of the body has always been very important and interesting. I was very stiff when I was young. I I didn't have a a great physicality. Uh, um, I was a reasonably coordinated athlete, but I wasn't like a great mover or, or a, I was really stiff and stressed. And uh, so for me, this idea of pursuing tension and and getting rid of it has been a grail because I can remember when I first started learning, (laughs) I had first time I was in China, I had one of my teachers who was this uh, very well regarded uh, doctor and an old uh, Bagua master. And he said to me, you move like you're made of wood, you know, and I was just like, (laughs) gutted, you know, I was like, oh man. (laughs) 
but it's true. Wow. I was really, really stiff. And, uh, but that's beautiful because it's like, that's what you get to transform. You know, you run into these things and that's the lead you turn into gold. It gives you something to work on. And, uh, I, I think the, the purpose of today's training is to defeat yesterday's understanding. It's always prying into this. You know, I can say that for 30 years, I've been studying this stuff and, and really passionate about it. It's just always, I just, I love it. And, uh, and again, it's not martial art. It's much bigger than that, right? It's life, it's nature, it's, it's this much larger consideration, but the body is the microcosm and this is mine to play with. Right. So, so I do. And, uh, um, but uh, I guess what I was going to say is that this idea of releasing and letting go and recognizing, you know, I think healing is very much of an undoing. A lot of the time we're adding on so much all the time or we pathologize a sensation or we think, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Oh, this hurts. Or, oh, do I have cancer? Oh, you know, like we just get so fucking off to the races. And uh, it's important to just be with things at times and feel into it and, and not have to come up with a whole story or a reason to fix it or, a, you know, and so practice gives us that. It gives us that foundation of being able to not chase that squirrel all the time. That's something that I learned a lot through meditation, which taught me, which helped me in, you know, in everything, because a lot of things are very complex. Um, you know, a lot of, I guess, Rick, activities are very complex and there's a lot of things going on and it's very easy to masquerade um like a a need for chasing the monkey mind yeah. you know and and that's like that's what i was getting to with the hunger and i just do a whole study of that and running like you know dysphoria i want to quit um this pace is now very challenging i don't feel good in my body and what i would do is just comfort comfort and try to achieve that i wanted to be where i was i want to feel good because that's what that's what i want this experience to be and then i'd learned through i'd learned otherwise that like doing that would compound my problem and and being able to like sit with it and just watch it like oh you have diarrhea just just let it all happen you know what i mean like let, let's see where this goes or like yeah. oh you need to vomit like let's see where this goes you know don't you don't need to increase your you have a thing where like you need to you can finish this or go to the car if it gets to this limit right mm -hmm. and it's like just keep going forward and making progress you know with whatever pace feels relatively easy you know, because that was my goal for the day. So then I, because I try to work in relative paces because I've had more success and more um, satisfaction from that, I guess. Um, so there it's like, I just see it as that same study where I get to observe my body being uncomfortable. And because I, in the moment, not always, don't go in and, and add a bunch of things to make it feel better. I actually get to learn how I feel because I realize that I never listened to that because I'm adding all this stimuli to drown it out. But when I re remove it, it always passes. Like my discomfort, like if I vomit, I mean, I don't have Girardia or anything, but like, you know, I don't, I vomit, 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 or I feel uncomfortable and it's gone. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, there's a beautiful Zen saying, to do nothing with the world is the drum that announces learning, right? I mean, <laughs> 
so often we just continue to muddy the waters. And I've, I've seen in my healing practice over the years that, uh, you know, people come in and the list of things they're you know, they did this, they're doing that. They're do it's like, how can you process the result of the 12 things that you've done to yourself in the last three days to try to fix this somewhat murky condition of what's going on to begin with, you know, yeah. it's, like, ah, it's, it's uh, mm -hmm. overload. And, uh, so, you know, this is always part of what has always attracted me about the Taoist tradition and the, the Eastern practices is that simplicity, that minimalism. And uh, I, I think that um, for me, what's the most interesting is that, you know, I don't really, uh, the goal is this long-term cultivation of harmony of trying to be, you know, more present, more available, more compassionate, more, you know, fierce, more whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but, but actually not getting into the, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to lift this much and then do that much. Or, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've overtrained at times in my life and I've been in things where I had goals and all that kind of stuff, but, but I guess, stepping back and having it be a much bigger consideration about trying to embody nature and principles is um i think it makes it a worthy study for a lifetime right people bounce in and out of things all the time and uh what's great about these traditions is they don't change so you do hmm. <laughs> i really like that wow it's so when you were talking about um indian clubs uh to help with to help posture right and to help with like checking in with the posture and stuff how do you see how do you see that as as a benefit um for people who are looking to um, improve their posture it's a great question uh so i think posture is really misunderstood because a lot of time you say it and people think you're advocating some static stuck thing you know P posture is dynamic mm -hmm. and it's also active and what I mean by that is, you know, again, look at an animal. What does a raccoon do? It makes a posture, you know, you know, like a posture is a, a posture is an expression of a mind state. And mm -hmm. so you're using your posture as a physical thing of, you know, you think about it. If somebody says straighten up, how long does it take you before you go back to slouching, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to stay present and to engage your body and to be doing that. So if you think of that as an exercise, so that, you know, the analogy that I like to use is, it's like if we're driving in a car, having a great conversation, it's fine for me to be involved in the conversation. But if I get so involved in the conversation that I crash the car, because I'm not paying attention to the road, it's a problem. Posture is keeping the car on the road and the swing is the conversation. Wow. And so like I'm more cued into how what my hands are doing is affecting my torso because in Chinese Kung Fu, we talk about the, there's all this lore around the Dantian and the Hara and the core and centering and all this stuff. And this is a profound truth, but it's an arrived at truth. And, and, the torso, the waist is the biggest joint in the body. What does it join? The upper and the lower body. So the movement and development of this joint to create a solid, strong torso that lets 
if you can bring the bones into a better alignment, the muscle can relax because everything's stacked. But to bring the bones into alignment, you have to engage them. And so the active part of, pra- of posture is you have to engage to align, you have to align to release, and you have to release to empty and empty to fill. This is sort of a cycle in the Chinese arts. But this active standing is me engaging my postural muscles and maintaining that and relaxing at the same time. So it's like the bones float and stack and the flesh melts away the way the wax melts away from the wick of a candle. Oh, wow. Or the way like even a tent drapes over like the pole. Exactly. And, and, and here's a, to stick with the tent one, posture, your body is like a tent. When you first put it out on the floor or on the, on the ground, there's nowhere to sleep. You have to create the internal space by running lines of pressure in opposite directions. Every time I make a posture, that's what I'm doing. Why? To create space inside. Why? Because nature abhors a vacuum. That space gets filled. It gets filled with life force. Now, that might sound crazy, but I don't know what's keeping everybody alive, but there's something, and I believe we can attract more of it by opening up. Wow, that's cool. And um, So you mentioned that with the Indian clubs, that there was, when you're swinging, you're trying to, um, trying to load the bones. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, but just to be more accurate, the loading the bones comes about from having relaxed enough and having enough alignment that you can just feel this compression. When you can do that, the club winds up, the angle of the club, I can direct it to feel it where it's loading. So like I'm always like, I'm not muscling the club, but it's always causing me work here and in my hands. Mm -hmm. So that every time I'm moving it, the connection of my fingers to the club are really solid. So that way this is pulling at me. Mm -hmm. The the club head wants to fall, but I'm not letting it. So it's like Archimedes thing. I'm having to resist that line from doing that. So it's organizing this whole, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a play of levering. And it it doesn't do that in in the set. And because it's a lever, right? It's not doing that in a single direction. It's spiraling because of how the gravity is pulling it and it's going throughout your whole arm, right? Well, in this case, it's going right up into the hand here, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to then put a counter force down against that. That isn't just a local muscle, it's a long line of connection through the whole arm. So it's, it's this constant manipulation of the center of mass of the club with the center of mass of my own body through the connection of my hand. So it's, you're trying to always line everything up so they're falling together, right? So one of the things that, and this again comes from martial art, but one of the things that is important is to have this idea of when one thing sinks, everything sinks. When one thing rises, everything rises. There's no break. The movement is just Mm -hmm. all interconnected. Just like waves. That's right. And the waves move through the joints and I'm not running into myself muscularly. So the movement just gets expressed up and down. Fluidly. So it becomes this, yeah, it's like a, dry land swimming or dry land rowing kind of thing Mm -hmm. but you're moving through your joints rather than 
and and that's what I was talking about with the kickboxing. What I what I didn't realize is is like I, it was so challenging to I didn't know how to move my body through space fluidly. And even after years of just the martial like the martial art itself, right? Because it, I don't think it focuses on the fluidity just by nature of that martial art, right? Unless right. you have a coach you were to focus on that. Um, yeah. I haven't really I have not improved in that way and that's where i'm learning how to how to move within the past few years by focusing solely on that as opposed to adding the the complexity of the specific technical elements of that martial art right right because yeah. you just say like i do jujitsu and that's fine and i'm like <laughs> i don't think so because <laughs> i've yeah. hurt myself in those movements and i have to you know think about the complexity of the sport but when i take away all of that and simplify just like meditation simplifies attention right yeah. Um, then I'm able to go deep instead of so wide. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, um, within Chinese martial arts, there are distinctions, you know, so there's this idea of what we would call shenfa or body method. And that's a sub, that's a category of practice. And it has to do with developing the physical body so that you have the, these sort of energies that we're training and, the point is this, that you can learn martial art, but not develop the shenfa. Mm -hmm. But that's what makes the art work. It's got nothing to do with the little hand positions and this and that. It's that if you practice right, it makes you strong. It makes you, and you can see it in somebody's movement versus somebody who's just throwing their hands around. And, yeah. and so this is in China, they would say, oh, you have gong fu. You have, you practice, but you've attained something. A lot of people have a practice, but they may not have attained something, you know, and I'm not mm -hmm. speaking myself in either of those categories. I'm just saying that this is the distinction they make. It's like, uh, mm -hmm. you could be a cook and have Kung Fu. You could be a carpenter and have Kung Fu. You have, you've worked hard at something and it shows you embody it. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so what I like about the Chinese arts is, you know, it's, it, I'm, I'm not thinking about fighting. I'm not getting in the ring. I'm not sparring. I mean, I've done all that. But that doesn't interest me at this point in my life. But I still can have a really fulfilling physical practice that gets me stronger and keeps my body feeling good as I go through life that has that, you know, I don't know, yeah, it's satisfying, at least for yeah. me, you know, and clubs are that way too. And so um, I think we can choose to focus on different aspects of our practice. And, and so skill development and movement quality these are the pieces of the the art that have always interested me and so my mission has always been to figure out how to make my body open and supple and, and all that stuff that makes sense because even in the in the context of a chef like you could be um you know you're a chef and i find this very interesting um from having a lot of peers who are chefs that you um you get good at the skill of cooking but then the, the one thing specifically with cooking um, that is underlooked is the movement quality of cooking, because mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who are, who have like physical ailments and, and like from, you know, like a shoulder from reaching. And I had a friend, for instance, was having shoulder problems because he reaches overhead with the salt, you know, yeah. and he's grabbing the salt and just shaking. And he's like, it's really light. I don't know why it caused me problems, any of these things. And it's like, you know, if you didn't have a, a physical practice, I could see you, someone hopefully being inspired to overlay that physical practice, you know, in the connection to their spiritual self 
by learning just how to move in cooking. Like, you know, you always have to carry like the oil canisters out to the garbage and you're basically doing a farmer's walk, right? With two yep. things on your side. And that that little moment, as opposed to just the skill set of being the chef is like, how do I inhabit my own body in this way? And like in the reaching and, and all of those things, you know, it's an opportunity to dig deep. Absolutely. And uh, I love to cook and I love to eat. And my wife and I watch some of those uh, cooking shows which I think are great fun and uh but one thing that I always notice is how beaten up these kids bodies are and most of them work crazy long hours and they're standing up all the day hunched over so the postures get totally broken down and so you know this is the other thing that has always seemed obvious to me but I know that it isn't is that like the consequence for not getting into your body is huge it's mm -hmm. great you know and and so it's like why not take on something that is going to make you feel good and if you're going to have to exercise which you are if you're in a body and you want to enjoy being in a body learn something that goes somewhere you know like exercise can become something people just check off of a oh i did my exercise or this and that but the degree of potency to your practice and what you derive from your exercise comes from what you put into it, right? So it's like you have to make your own medicine potent, you know, otherwise it just, you know, it is what it is. Um, well, you were talking about uh, like synchronizing the, the body and movement and almost the waves is like everything comes up, you know, you come up and then as it comes down, you come down. Does that is just breath relate to that and synchronizing your breath and learning how to breathe in relation to how you're moving. Does that play into it? How important is that? It does. And it is very important. Um, but I am of the school of thought that breath, the breath follows the movement, meaning as your body begins to relax and open, it will fill. And as it goes down, it closes and it will empty. You don't want the mind to get involved with the breath. What will happen in time as the body changes is that you'll start to observe the breath and you'll start to notice uh, the breath and the body have, have coordinated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of the breath, I think the, the most important thing to recognize is that it's up to us to exhale and to let go. And exhaling is like squeezing out a sponge. And then the inhale will just naturally happen. So the work is in getting that exhale out and then allowing the inhale to come in and fill up the body. But with movement, it's that same thing. That flexion pattern is that squeezing out and then that opening that happens after is that sponge returning to form. And how does, you said that, mentioned something earlier that we, we, we physically embody how we, how we feel how we feel within emotionally um, and like t and via like tension. Yeah. Um, well, mm -hmm. We internal uh, like stress, everything that happens to us across all categories of our experience, we tend to turn into tension, right? We, it becomes holding in the body if it's not let go and that holding becomes cumulative and we stop feeling our bodies. So people walk around with their shoulders up like this because they're tense but they don't feel it because it, they've gotten used to it. So it's, it's learning to see it that gives us the opportunity to let it go. Um, but posture is always expressive of internal conditions and in, in, in how we're feeling in, in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, the more we 
learn to recognize where we're holding tension, which is always hard to find at first because by definition, we're not feeling those areas, right? So usually an injury will happen or something will happen and that gives the person an opportunity to go into it if they choose. And then you start to notice, oh, okay, these little movements where you start to discern, oh, there's, there's the tightness, right? You, you have to explore your body, I, I think. You know, I mean, I've seen somatics, which is an incredible art, and Hannah's whole insight was brilliant and clear. Um, but I've seen a lot of people doing somatics just like people did to yoga. You know what I mean? It just becomes a thing. They're doing the exercise, but there's no real depth of somatic awareness. And, you know, like we all need to find our way into our body. And that comes from the process of practice. Yeah, I think tension's a huge, huge subject. And I think recognizing that there's a game to play and a skill to develop around learning to feel your own tension so you can transform it because you can't transform it until you can identify it and feel it. And everyone is holding far more tension than they're aware of. And what's the general principle um, for people to go and um, to, to bring their awareness to that tension? I, I guess to give context to that, I found in like uh, when I put my body in like like intense poses, mm-hmm. um, I'm aware of things like like doing just cat cow, right? I'm aware. I'm more. I have a greater awareness of my spine and how my body's orientating itself in space. And I realized that there was tension in those places that I didn't see before. But I always thought that that was because. I'm literally paying attention to my spine and feeling how it articulates in space and at rest or any other time, I'm not studying the movement of my spine that much and how I feel. I would agree, but it doesn't mean the tension isn't there just because you're not looking for it. You know, in other words, you're right. You are finding it because you are in the room. You're Mm -hmm. looking around and seeing what's there. Yeah. That's how you get the opportunity to find it. But it's always there. It's always yeah, there. That's what I felt like. Cause I, cause I get this thing where I just realize like, there's a lot, like what you're saying is, is I'm going into the rooms of my house that's right. and just at rest, I don't realize what's going on inside of my house. Cause I'm on the porch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Or we're just moving too fast. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so here's something that okay. let's see if this works. Uh, so a big thing in Chinese arts is we play with this idea of yi, which is your intention. It's not a thought, right? I can think of lifting my hand and my hand won't move. But if I intend to lift my hand, but then I don't, you can feel the surge of energy, right? Like the, mm-hmm. go ahead and try it, right? That, that threshold before executing the action, but having the intention sends an energy through the body. Mm-hmm. We learn to play with that. This is part of learning to listen in and feel like even a tiny movement, stretching the back of my hands here, I can feel that through my whole body and I'm playing with this convergence of execution and inhibition and pull push. And, but you begin to wire that up globally and then it comes in through the roots and the center. Yeah. I never thought of that. Cause even with like, you know, to be able to engage the lats while moving the arms as opposed to have the disconnected through the chain. And there's different exercises that I've done or, or posh or, yeah, I guess exercises or movements where you, um, where you 
disengage the lat and you isolate the arm at the joint and then other ones to where you're trying to engage the lat and even maybe further through the hips and drive through the whole floor and Indian clubs was the thing that almost fell back um, taught me that when I was doing the side casts yeah because the side casts I realized that all the way from my knee to to my hands I'm able to drive that that force like as a, in almost like a twisting formation and I never really got that through through my lifting with kettlebells or or barbells, and I was just so excited because I didn't know how to integrate my body like that, and I didn't know it was possible. Yeah, and 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 that feeling and putting that whole thing under a very detailed microscope is what these arts are about. The human body only does three things: flexion, extension, and rotation. Rotation, most of the time, people over rotate. And so the same thing happens. You're spilling force. You're not letting the joint do its work because something else is doing it. And so in my method of teaching and training, I basically, I'm lazy. There's only, I'd rather think of three things than 800 different muscles, right? So get really good at the flexion pattern. Recognize that flexion is the active phase. So when you let go of flexion, the body just relaxes into neutrality. And then you have rotation. Extension is, I believe, more largely born out of uh, flexion pattern, meaning that it's better to get strong on the flexion pattern and the extension pattern will open itself up. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's uh, anyways, it's a longer subject, but, mm -hmm. and then rotation. And so rotation, the, the point is, in one of the biggest things in Chinese martial arts, and it's so simple, but it's really hard, is just the distribution of weight. To be able to shift your weight from foot to foot and mm -hmm. truly be on one foot at a time all the time without breaking at the hips so that the body is actually driving uh, through here, but nothing's happening here because anything happening here is still like planes clashing. Mm -hmm. It must be that spiralic helical quality. And what are some things that what are some things for people to that people could try or get into like types of disciplines or activities where they can understand that, that quality? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, any of the internal arts taught by someone who actually has developed the skill and teaches it will have that to it. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest challenge, and, and I think this is the biggest challenge in, in movement for most people is everybody does too much and they go too big. And so you don't develop the beginning of the movement chain. And when you recognize it's a chain, it doesn't matter if it's the first link that's broken. If it's not connected, it's not going to be right. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of these really core movements that we need to clarify, there's not enough movement happening. So just to give you an example, like a classic Tai Chi exercise would be to release my hips my thighs my knees my calves my ankles my feet to stack my feet my ankles my calves my knees my thighs my hips release hips thighs knees calves ankles feet so i've got this wave of rising and falling that's happening through the lower body that i'm able to control and that's just like what i was doing with the club swinging earlier is that I can sequence that release and I can control it. I can stop and change direction at any point because I'm not like 
gapping out. My movement is, it's like a hydraulic lift. So, so, so that brings me to the thing that I found fascinating when I was in somewhere that had a lot of ice and it was the, the slipping on ice and why that would precipitate injury. Like you, you slip and catch yourself. Oh, yeah. And I didn't, I don't, could you under, does that, is that interesting at all? Um, and could well, you provide yeah, no, context? What happens is the body has to stabilize and it does so in such a quick reflex and those muscles aren't used to having to work like that. And so it creates like a whiplash, like an injury, mm. but it's your body's writing reflex. And, and we all have this and it's something that we can develop. And so part of, uh, this whole idea of posture and alignment and everything is to learn. And this is again, out of Tai Chi is to learn how to maintain our center of mass with our center of balance. See what happens in that instance you described is your center of balance comes outside of your center of mass and your body creates a shape to somehow try to counterbalance it. So you don't fall mm -hmm. in that shape just because of the need to do it with that speed and reactivity. It can be an injury it can hurt. That's interesting. And I've often wondered, um, you know, if it was, if you're able to just teach your body to spontaneously distribute force in a way that's less injury prone. And because um, when you come into trail running, for instance, um, some things happen, go awry with proprioception where like you step and you roll an ankle, for instance. But my, when I did that and I used to get injured, um, I was really concerned because I heard you roll it once and it, you know, continues to go from there, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. Um, but so I, I got very uh, curious about that and very worried. And instead of, you know, just doing my squats and just rehabilitating it and getting it so I could run again, I wanted to, to learn why it rolls and what, and what the, the, what the limitations are in my ankle's ability to, you know, to um, stabilize and its mobility and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I learned that over through my trail running, this kind of incidental, that I developed the proprioception to write myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, um, over the years, I've only fallen once, but I've tripped over 20 times. And like the, my ability to write myself in all these weird scenarios or like if I even, I feel my ankle, if it would, it does it less and less, but if it were ever to just roll for whatever reason, I'm tired. Um, I, it's not weight bearing anymore. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. because I'm able to switch feet right away, but it's like someone playing the guitar to where they're not consciously thinking about every note that they're playing. That's just like what I feel is automatically happening. And something that I realize is, is that we adapt to the patterns that we develop. And if I didn't pat, if I'm not patterning my body by, by practicing how to orientate myself in space, then wouldn't my body be not skilled at doing that? So when it hit the phenomena of losing that foot, and if I didn't know how to adjust my weight, I could crash and break my ankle. But mm -hmm. if I learned how to be able to develop the proprioception, mm -hmm. then maybe I could reduce my rate of injury and keep myself safe while not preventing the possibility of rolling an ankle. Because I can't control that. Well, I, well, I kind of can, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's also, there's so many games, right? So yeah, I, think, I, I think about if I were to go uh, trail running and, 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 you know, the idea of rolling an ankle and all that, and I make a living with my hands and this kind of thing. So I'm careful about what I do. Um, but 
one way that I would play that is like, okay, how can I do this slowly, but have every loading of the weight be pure and perfect. So there's no jarring on the joints. So there's no like, because as you get older, all the injuries you would cure when you're younger, you, you've got to kind of undo, right? Yeah. So, so there's, I mean, they're the part of the, beautiful thing is you have all those years to work through that stuff and so I've learned so much from undoing injuries I've gotten from training over the years and 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 so I'm always now looking to try to make everything be balanced but be like mm, like it, it mm-hmm. has that nothing that's too jarring for me yeah and, and that's what I heard in running was it's almost better instead of if you're initially getting into running it's better to learn how to run quietly than fast yeah yeah I think uh, being able to, uh, so one of the ideas that I'm very interested in and and that is one of the uh, directions that the practice leads is being able to contain the whole body and the foot so that you can actually load the foot to sustain the weight falling and catch it. This is like the stepping method in Chinese arts is really about this. But I think there's a progression of you, the core becomes developed sufficiently enough that it can then stabilize down into the foot. And then you have this transference from weight to foot, uh, core to foot over and over. And and that uh, idea comes from not only the strength of the foot, but the ability of the foot to, to feel down, to be loaded. And so this means we have to be able to get the weight of the body out of the muscle and to load the bones so that it's like when I'm standing in this posture, when I'm standing in this position, it's, it's like I'm loading my bones just like when I'm pushing into this because I'm taking my center back. I feel it right in the front of my thighs and I'm holding this constant weight happening here. Uh, um, in other words, this is how stand, standing practice translates into creating strong, stable legs, but they're not hypermuscular mm-hmm. because what you're trying to do is the muscles are more like the casing of a sausage. You're trying to hold everything in place and keep the weight going through the bone because it's the uh-huh. densest tissue. Oh, uh, wow. And is so, okay. Uh, would this be a good metaphor? People think about this a lot in not oh you could use it in jujitsu but uh rock climbing is an example where they say people try to like muscle through things yeah and then you learn how to climb in a way where you're using your structure right and it it, it only stops there by the way and that's where i found it's like what you're saying though is the implications are even grander in that opinion in my opinion is, is you're developing the relationship between muscle in your in your you know bone structure Right. Well, I think what you described with climbers is a similar skill. It's, it's just in a different domain. But part of what we're doing is because there's the vertical force always when you're upright and walking mm-hmm. is that you're constantly able to practice this idea of letting the weight travel through the bones, letting the weight travel through the body and relaxing the muscle so that you have this, you know, again, this is the structure. It doesn't need any strength to take the weight that I push through it because it just travels down. But what you do need is to keep it from going off axis when you push. So the joints need to be strong enough to line up, you know, one bone over the other bone and transfer the force through the bone without wiggle wiggling around. 
does that make sense? That does make sense. And there's like something again in climbing, which it comes to, which is where you do a layback positioning and you almost make a triangle with your body and where your hands are on grabbing like an edge, right? A vertical edge, um, parallel with the orientation of your body, right? For yeah. the most part. Um, and you grab it and then you have your feet flat on a wall and the whole goal, that's not a muscle thing. And you shoot your butt back as that's far right. as you can and what happens is you could feel it where like you can do some things that are really impressive but like in terms of it looks really strong but it's structural and when the weird thing is is when you have tension in this because of fear and then fear precipitates tension and then you go into the adrenalized state and you're in fight or flight like shaking oh, i'm scared yeah. or whatever that you become muscle bound that's and then right. what becomes really easy all of a sudden becomes really hard. Or if someone who's never done that before, they'll go up there and they will orientate their body so that the, the load does not go from fluidly from their hands to hips to feet. And they're tensing in a muscle thing. They're all, oh, this is too hard. I can't do this. And there's people with like me where it's like, I can go and climb and do that and make it through those things. And they yeah. always say like, you know, you're thrashing up it or you're thrashing through it. Yeah. But that's what I'd say in yoga and all these other things that you were talking about, you know, before where it's like, <laughs> instead of looking inside and trying to put yourself back into that harmony with your body, which is what you're talking about before. I bring this up in climbing because of the audience out there would probably be able to connect with that. Because even if you're a beginner climber or the first climb that you've gone, people will think very very doable things are physically impossible and that's only because they become extremely tense and very muscle bound yeah you know what that's a beautiful uh, illustration and i would guess uh that people that are good at doing that as climbers would tell you that their experience is that they distribute the force evenly across the whole frame and body mm -hmm. because when you do that nothing has to work hard that's what we're doing in all of our postures but to do that, you have to understand center. And to find center, you need to know the ends. So you literally have to get your energy out to the tips of the fingers. This is like with the club. The energy has to be at the tip of the club. So there's this whole process of developing not just the proprioception, but the tendon strength of the hands. And, and this is how we develop the shapes. The power is in the tendons tendons get thicker because we're always stretching them and again it's it's a it's not i'm gonna crush it take a break off then crush it it's every day i'm gonna push a little harder to find my edge that i can handle but i can be with it right i can mm -hmm. be there and every day it gets a little stronger and a little stronger so you're you're layering and over time it becomes really strong wow. and, and so it's uh but it is always this distribution of force. You don't ever want anything to build up in one place because that's not balanced. Mm -hmm. That's um, something that I, I think you people could visualize pretty easily with your tendon or with your Achilles tendon, right? And mm -hmm. if you do like even a midfoot and a forefoot running, um, if you're like sprinting basically, right? And that the, the, heel, the heel strike, it might like kiss the ground or like touch the ground, but it's not the first thing to touch the ground. And that, that tendon back there gets completely stretched when you use the, you use the elasticity to launch off of it. And it's like, like, am I right about that? Cause I just like look at the foot and it reminds me of a diving board 
in that way. And then the way that you run, you know, with, with the ground and you, you heel strike, do you rely a lot on the, your tendon strength to be able to propel you forward? You think? Well, yeah. I mean, I, so again, we have special practices that have specific purposes. So like one of the ways we step is with an intentional heel strike so mm -hmm. that you're connecting into the glute and, and you're using the foot to be able to, you know, the expression is to step on the head of a snake. It's like the foot lands and then gathers on top of it. Whoa. But the other thing you can think about is even if you just stretch your hand out and away, the tendon right here, right? If you bend that elbow and you find that uh, tendon that's right in there, mm -hmm. you make that pop, that will become thick. Like mine's like that thick from doing this stuff over time you're constantly pulling at that tendon that gives you a lot of short power because the mm -hmm. tendon's like a bungee cord the thicker it is the harder it is to stretch and the less far you need to pull it to have it still take force so as the tendons get thicker short power which is one of the things we play around with becomes deep because the tendons if, as your tendon becomes thicker, do you um, is there a consideration for the elasticity and the mobility of the tendon or the range of the tendon, or does the thickness of it not um, impede that? It, it, it doesn't impede it because again, we're always in these very open postures, and I'm not using any weight. It's just my ability to push my hand away with all the extensors and pull it back with all the flexor muscles in relation to the central axis of my body so that I'm actually pulling away. So it pulls the whole body like if you were staking out a tent. Every line of force is in opposition to another line of force so that you're creating these balanced structures. Oftentimes when you do many things, many different physical kinds of activities um, or you know, hobbies, there is the, the differentiation, distinction between you know being being technical or muscling through it, right? Yeah. And there's even a distinction in running too, if you people like dig really deep in that, but it's big in the climbing, big in jujitsu and all these other things. Um, by, by what you describe, it sounds like there's people think about physical training as muscular training, but there's what the word for technical, I know that there's specific technique to the, to the sport that you do, but, wouldn't that just be like saying that there's specific muscles that you use in the sport and the general physical training is the same thing, but the sport is just the niche version of training those muscles. So like, you know, I could do like deadlifting and squatting and push-ups, and then I go and do jujitsu and that's my general physique, physique training for jujitsu, right? Let's say that for most people. Um, and I go in there cause I'm going to be pushing people away right? I'm like simulating these specific movements in my general practice. Um, and then you people talk about technique and it's like, well, there's technique in jujitsu and you could learn technique so that you don't have to use muscle. But what if the description of technique, because I hear that in a lot of things in rock climbing and skiing and being able to move your hips and keep your torso, you know, centered at the top and like how to be technical and technical is always it's, it's more efficient and more easy as that's described in that sport. But by what you're talking about, it sounds like there's a potentially a general practice that people of being technical that, and, and that that's movement and how to 
you know, the, what you're describing. Would that be fair or no? I think so. I, I, so the way I see it, and this is just sort of how I choose to define it, because it's one of those subjects, everybody defines it differently and everybody's mm-hmm. got a different thought about what it is. But uh, I, I, I believe that there is sort of a macro practice that focuses on releasing tension and having postural strength as the foundation to it that is and is at the heart of what all the old weapons practice was and that's at the heart of of ever, of all the high level things that I've that I've that I've been exposed to yeah yeah and so what interests me is this what is this methodology and i think it very much has to do with an embodied philosophy that is very much you could say hermetic or even it's looking at the nature of you know um, you know, in jujitsu or wrestling, position position over power, right? You know, you know there, there are hierarchies of when things are useful. And so you need to have all the attributes, but there's also, um, in other words, strength and technique are both huge, right? What, what would you rather have? I don't know. They're both like, yeah. guys, it's strong. It's hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. But there's a point where technique can transcend itself. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a point where strength bottoms out. Mm-hmm. Right? How strong do you really need to be? Really? And that's the message that's shared in all of those things. And it becomes in like, and if your goal in jujitsu is, is to win, right. And to like, to beat people, that's yeah. what you hear all the time. And if you look at rock climbing, you hear the same thing. If you want to climb really hard, your strength is going to plateau. And I think that's what you're talking about. And is really cool to me, no matter what game you play is that's the spiritual practice. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah, and, and, and what also fascinates me is that the same method with which I train my body is also how I work with mental emotional stuff. And it's the same oh. process, which is recognize it, you know, find it, find your tension, feel it, be with it, and watch it transform. Because everything comes and goes, you know? So it's like, don't get into the reactivity around it. Don't get into the story. Just give it a breath and it'll, what needs to be done will become clear or things will move on. And usually what we find with pain and other physical sensation is that it changes all the time, but we can concretize it by looking for it and getting, getting all fixated on it. So at first it's uncomfortable encountering your tension and the limitations in your body and it sucks, you know, nobody wants to do it, but the way out is through and what happens is it just becomes easier and clearer and your body becomes more comfortable and lighter. And, you know, I mean, I'm 50. I can wake up every morning and swing heavy clubs and train and I don't stretch or do anything. And, and, and I feel really comfortable in my body. And uh, that hasn't always been so. So that's sort of my grail and what directs my practice is that it leads me deeper into that experience. And uh, for me, clubs have been a huge, I think also, and I meant to say this earlier, Part of what is unique, too, about sort of my journey, and part of it has also been stupid, was that there's an admonition in Tai Chi to stay away from strength and to stay away from effort. Like, that's not what you do. So, like, I never, I mean, I have, when I played hockey and other things, trained hard and been grinding and running and doing some of that stuff. But as I've gotten older, it's never been around strength. Indian clubs were a way that allowed me to begin to get back into strength play and not feel like I was working against my goal in Tai Chi, which is all about release 
And the reason is because it's connected. It's I'm extending through the club. I'm not pulling, I'm not ripping tissue, yeah. you know? And so um, strength is very important, but I never, uh, it was never a focal part of my practice. And, and uh, I wish I had gotten more into it when I was younger in an intelligent way. But I do think that there's a lot of problems with the bodies I see people develop from weights in a lot of ways, stiffness, soreness, lack of mobility. And, and I'm not meaning to say weights are bad. It's just, you know, I just balance. Think, yeah, balance. And, and uh, um, balancing weights with what though? Well, right. So this to me is also where like, I need it to be an activity, right? I, the idea of exercise doesn't interest me just for exercise sake, right? I'm, I'm interested in, trying to develop skills and trying to go deeper in these other directions and that I can do that with clubs and with my practice is the part for me that's like getting my cake and eating it too kind of thing you know it's it's uh the same mindset that I'm listening into my body with when I'm moving and swinging my clubs the same considerations of principle and balance and listening and releasing are all the same things that I'm trying to have in my head as I go through my day if people were interested in experiencing some of the things that you've talked about, is Indian clubs a, with the proper instruction, right? Um, is Indian clubs a good way to get into that? Yeah. I think Indian clubs is a shortcut in a sense to being able to develop some of these physical qualities that, that we work toward. Um, and partially it's because one, they give us such good feedback for our joints and two, the levering really helps us find core. And, and one of the things that was most unexpected for me about club swinging is one of the best, the most developed, sorry, one of the best pieces of development that I've gotten out of it has been my feet. And it's counterintuitive, but it's also obvious when you look at it, because watch, every time I'm doing this and I'm swinging the club up, I counterbalance by grabbing through the ground with my feet. So oh. Full body stretch every time, so my feet have become much more flexible and strong. And uh, and so, again, if you're doing the clubs with the ideas of interconnection and posture, there's a lot of development that happens of opening up the torso and getting the body so it becomes very mobile. Um, and that's that's why I swing clubs. You know what I mean? I, I use them as a tool for opening and developing the body. Is there anything that you'd recommend people um, for checking out like content or for people who are teachers that they could look for? Yeah, I mean, I've got programs. Um, I've got a clubs course. Um, I people do, find out about your clubs course? Yeah, it's on my website, islandphysicalculture.com. I've got a course on Shingi Liu Hachan, which is one of the martial arts I teach, as well as a, a course on clubs. Um, and I do a lot of private coaching with folks. I'm always working on this macro idea. So, so when I'm working with people, we use clubs because they're a great tool, but we also do a lot around standing meditation and different Qigong and different movement practices to work on these same ideas of releasing the lower back, getting the body to come into alignment so we can really relax and let go of the, the soft tissue. What's your experience with people who have, um, like, you talk about like the pelvic tilt, yeah. Um, and sometimes very controversial. I have a very strong opinion on the lower back and the pelvis that is not shared by a lot of folks. Can you tell me about it? 
Well, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, when I look around, I see a lot of people that are breaking their body in two by bending from the hips. I want to use my lower back more like a fishing rod if there was a, a fish here so that the bend is through the spine. This isn't how you stretch your spine. This is the spine isn't getting stretched, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm always believe that the first thing we have to do is to recover our conscious control of our lumbar spine and lower back. And we do that by awakening that area. So if this is my tailbone, I need to bring it underneath me so that now I'm vertical. So the head and the tail are in opposition to each other. So the spine gets pulled between the two. The head is tuck the chin to raise the crown, right? It's doing this. And the tail is doing this. And those two forces Mm, oppose each other. And so to regain the strength and the mobility in the lower back, we do a lot of our practices where you're having to bring your pelvis underneath you. And that's one of the objects of concentration. That's very hard. People let it go. And this is why it's not commonly developed, but it will flatten out your lower back and will, I mean, lower back issues, such a huge lower back pain is such a huge issue for so many people. Like I've, I've literally had so many people heal their lower back through this method because again, what happens to people, they get old, they get tight and they go into extension Mm -hmm. And, and then people get go about it. Like it's a postural issue. It's a lack of function. Like you wouldn't be able to let go of that lower back. And if you can't do it, you have to regain that control. And how do we do it? Through the active phase of flexion. And if you look at anything that, um, what, if you don't, if you don't stress anything or if you don't use anything, then over time, right, it, it starts to lose its adaptations. Um, but then if you stress something, you get the hormetic stress, right. And you start to get adaptations, um, And it's interesting because it seems that the body can adapt to almost anything within its range of motion, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, Just like we as people psychologically and culturally could adapt to anything, whether it's a good or a bad thing. And just like music is the same thing with like tones, like when you play certain keys that sound sad and certain keys that sound happy, that's actually just a, a, a pattern that's been developed over time that we're all conditioned to and that consensus reality contributes towards. And, and the, the pattern doesn't always have to be in harmony with reality. But when it is in harmony with reality, then you can thrive. Right. And that's, isn't that how like species work too? Where if you get like a, you know, an al- something that's albino and um, maybe there's somewhere where they need to be a really dark fur and then it's not in harmony with the environment. And so uh, that thing might not make it. Like that, that new phenomena or that new growth or that new adaptation is not going to thrive. So it gets killed and then, you know, evolves onward. That'd be a fair generalization. Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're part of, I think it's important to remember that movement is in service to sensation. And so what we're doing when we're training is giving ourselves all these sensory experiences that are shaping our whole body chemistry and everything, you know? So it's like the, the frame up of how we do it has a huge effect on things. And um, so, you know, by taking on an attitude of, you know, making it playful, softening, 
all these qualities, if we look for them, we begin to find them. But if we don't look for them, they don't show up there. And so the weaker ones just get buried under the more pervasive things we're used to feeling and noticing. And so we, people don't think it's possible because they haven't paid attention in that direction. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, it's just learning to bring our attention to something that we haven't been bringing it to. And then instancing that so that it's a, a habit and it becomes a, a skill, a muscle almost. And that's the mindfulness quality. And that is really the most important thing is how we're doing what we're doing. But then we need a template of what we're trying to create, right? And I believe that the body is meant to be governed from the center and things are better when they're in proportion and symmetry and harmony. And that's why all these things makes nature and art and everything beautiful. So like, I'm just simply trying to bring that into my physicality by recognizing those principles and trying to bring my, my practice and, and embodiment into harmony with those. That's beautiful, man. And I really appreciate taking the time. It was a great conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Will. It was a real pleasure. And I'll be sure to leave a, a link to your, um, your website and then uh, your social media too. So if people want to get any classes through you, cause you offer remote classes, right? I do. Yeah. Um, I, I have uh, mostly I'm, I'm developing a few courses right now and I've already got a few courses out, but I, I am going to do a club swinging class if folks are interested. Um, and again, when I do it, we'll also be talking about standing meditation and posture because, and, and I, I really believe in this idea of, of method around practice in, in the same way we're swinging clubs is the same way we're moving in these other things. And so, um, anyway, yeah. Islandphysicalculture.com is the website. I'm excited. And I'm going to have to hit you up because I definitely want to check that out. That sounds like my bread and butter, man. Cool. Well, I would love to play with you. I would love to swing some clubs together and have some fun. <laughs> Woo! Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Man, I really love Derek's, like, just the whole vibe and his personality. And some of the biggest things that I got to pull away from the episode were um, my relationship with my body and the learning. And how building my relationship with my body is a way to build a greater relationship with my whole being. You know, from self-doubt, um, manifesting courage, uh, to be able to take care of myself and love myself. All those things are very woo-woo, and, you know, you could talk about them, and um, and those things get really lost in the reality of things. You, you lose, like, things become very theoretical, and we can get mired in theory, and then theory can get, become contaminated with just bad ideas, but experience, visceral reality, something that you can Feel your own self and determine your own insight is powerful. And I see these physical practices, a variety of them with the right mindset and the constraints and consistency is a way to access that, is a way to embody, physically embody these very esoteric concepts. Um, and there's just so many things out there, you know, waiting for you, whether it's like committing to um, to moves in a risky environment, uh, in a climbing situation, uh, whether it's, you know, running really far uh, or running really fast in a short amount of time, learning how to hold your breath underwater, um, 
and more things that I don't even understand. These things push you in very unique ways and you gain insight within your own self, but not without the proper mindset, I suppose. And what's the proper mindset? Who the fuck knows? That's up to you. And it's so beautiful because it's uniquely yours. So have fun with it. And if you want to check more out about Derek and his uh, classes, go to islandphysicalculture.com or head over to his Instagram at islandphysicalculture. Um, And if you want to support the podcast, you could head over to becominghumanpodcast.com, drop a comment. Um, If you have any suggestions to the show, you can always shoot me an email, willnelson at zoho.com. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I'm going to play you out with a sick track by East Force and Ramdas called Electric Sea. If you'd like to check out more stuff by them, you can find a link to it in the show notes or the website. Enjoy. Bye. Feeling lost in the electronic sea. about the future fast forward living in this age of computers everybody in their phones like a solitary cell we don't talk with our tongues we just text with our thumbs cell towers by the schools giving cancer to the young and we cancel each other online you get hung by the jealousy and judgments drama to be dealt with in private is public we starving for substance it's Is a sickness that is coming from the identification with separateness of the individual. Modern technology, double-edged sword. It's everywhere at once, impossible to avoid. The whole world connected through the click of a button. We nuke our own foods in the microwave ovens cause it's quick and convenient. We know the government taking peeks at our email, yet we still need it. Fine print, we don't read it. Take a bite out the apple like Eve didn't eat. But where is it leading? It's all one to one. Put down your smoking gun. It's only what we see. How you choose is what will be. To become identified with your individuality, then your world is populated by them. Them is distant from you. At the end of the day, all roads lead home. Dorothy meets the whiz. It is what it is. Perception is everything. Waking up in the dream, we project what we think, but it's not what it seems. Every cell, every atom is connected like a team. We are one in this ocean of life with many streams. Be empowered by the tool, but don't let it use you. Can't Google self-knowledge. Be your own guru. On the other hand, you can 
identify with all of it. Consciousness and my consciousness, it's one. <laughs> 